everybody, and welcome to the Makers of Minnesota podcast, where we talk to cool people doing cool things. I do love the food space, and because that's sort of my day job, I run into people in the food space and think, oh, I want to hear your story. And I ended up having a conversation with Tina Rexing the other day, and she is with T-Rex Cookies. And Tina, I feel like we met a long time ago because I was a regular customer at your coffee shop that was on University Avenue. And this was, of course, before COVID, because you're right across the street from Hubbard Broadcasting at the time. And I loved your monster cookies, of course, but I also just loved the vibe of your coffee shop. And then it went into, you guys were opening in Roseville, and it was more of like a pop-up situation. So I can't wait to just talk to you and figure out post-COVID what is happening with T-Rex cookies. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. This is exciting to be here. Yeah. Now, how did you start making like the giant cookies? And did you, had you made them as a kid and decided to make it a business at some point? Well, no, I actually started out competing at the state fair. And so when I was in corporate, I would make cookies and baked goods and I would take them into my my colleagues at work and just test out my recipes. So I've kind of, I was known as the baker, um, the competitive baker in the space. And then uh, my colleagues would be like, why aren't you doing this for a living? <laughs> and so, uh, you know, early, early forties, midlife we, crisis. I want to back up one yeah. second, because this is hilarious. I never knew that about you. And I love the <laughs> state fair. Did you win any ribbons? Yeah, I won ribbons for like uh, lemon bread and, you know, zucchini bread, um, cookies too. But, you know, I was always, I'm a very competitive person by nature. And so I always need to score everything that I do. So I never played, I never do anything for fun. You know, I can't play golf for fun. Sure. I always have to keep score and that's no different in my baking life either. So I love that about you and that, you know, you're competitive. At what point did you finally acknowledge that and start saying it out loud? You know, in my early forties, I don't know if a lot of people go through this, but they start like taking a look at what am I doing uh, as my day job and whether or not that's like sparking joy in my life. So I kind of Marie Kondoed my life and, and I, and I quit my job. And then I started the, I started the cookie company in 2015. I had quit my job in 2014. So I spent two months kind of like reevaluating my life and figuring out what I wanted to do much to my husband's dismay. Pretty brave. <laughs> um, uh, or, or stupid, depending <laughs> on who you're, <laughs> you're talking to. But um, yeah, I started the company after I wrote a business plan. And my, my initial plan was just to sell cookies at the Minneapolis farmers market. Of course, it didn't go as planned because it got bigger than I I planned for. And I just kind of kind of surfed the wave of, of cookiness, I guess you could say. And that has brought you to where today, get me up to speed on locations, because I am under the impression that now you're going to the packaged goods industry. Yeah. So thank you, COVID, for kind of forcing my hand and going that direction. But like you said, I did have a cafe uh, for a couple of years right across the street on University from Hubbard, like you said. Um, they were going to tear down, they meaning these developers were going to tear down the building. So we're, I was going to be displaced for about a year and a half. So I had agreed to leave while they kind of figured that out. And then because COVID happened and there's a bunch of neighborhood drama with neighbors not wanting to put a high rise where that building was, that was put on hold. And I think as of now, I don't think it's going to move forward. So since I moved, I kind of 
moved into a space in Egan, which is like two miles from my house. And I just wanted a bakery. Uh, the cafe was cool, but it taught me that I never want to run a restaurant <laughs> ever yeah. again. Um, it was just not my strength and that it wasn't showcasing my products in terms of a cookie situation. So in uh, 2020, I decided, you know what? Every, every restaurant is closed. I had a lot of wholesale accounts like the U.S. Bank Stadium. Those were closed. I'm like, well, what's open? Um, grocery stores were open. So I started, it was actually literally a, a year ago, I started uh, testing baking the big cookies um, on my customers. So I asked my customers to take some cookie dough home and see if they could bake them. And the rest is kind of history. Actually, it's history in the making because I'm still trying to get into a few other stores. Um, I'm in 63 Targets right now, and I'm in all the Kowalskis and uh, the local Hy-Vees. Can I ask about that? Because there's a local company that has a frozen product in store that I won't name because she's a very nice lady. But I think when you go from a distributor situation or a co-packer or your own bakery, and then you go into a different type of medium, so frozen, the the recipes aren't always the same and things can happen. So how do you feel your recipes have translated to the frozen grocery product? Is it different? And is it just a matter of size? Because you're still making big cookies. Well, what's nice about going into the frozen space is that the cookies that I've been, been making in my space, um, in my two bakeries, because I actually have Egan as well as Minnetonka in the Ridgedale Mall. So I have those two locations. The cookie dough that we use in the maybe 80% of my dough is made by a, a co-packer. I call them my manufacturing partner. Um, so it's actually the same recipe that just goes into a smaller pouch that is made for sale to customers in the grocery stores. Yeah. So it's so the same. You, so it's the same recipe. Yeah, you've made that leap already and worked through because. Mm-hmm. For a lot of people, you know, it's not that co-packed products aren't great because obviously they are and that's how most of us get our products. But it is a transition for the home baker or the home person who's making a product in their kitchen to get to that co-packer level so they can get into the stores. There's this tremendous amount of trust that has to happen um, when you scale any food business because, you know, honestly, when I was making it by hand, uh, one of the reasons I found the co-packer to begin with was because I was going to be featured at the Super Bowl. And there was no way I could make that much cookie dough in my 60-quart mixer. And so I was in search of someone who could take my little recipe, little meaning 80 pounds, and blow it up to an 800-pound batch. So I found this partner in Egan, uh, Gregory's Foods, and we sat down. It was a a pretty lengthy R&D process with them uh, till we get to a point where my dough was exactly how I wanted it to. So any food company, you know, I guess my advice for any food company is to find a really good manufacturing partner that you trust and um, who can scale with you, Mm -hmm. you know. What brands are you selling in Target? So I have two SKUs at Target. I have the Monster Cookie as well as the Caramel Chocolate Chip Cookie at Target. One of the things that I think is interesting about you and you'll laugh when I talk about this, but when you have a business, you're very proprietary, right? And and you have like recipes of chocolate chip cookies and of the cookies of the monster cookies. But if we're just being completely honest, other than maybe some new technique or some spin on it, a cookie 
is somewhat of a cookie, right? So there's good cookies and bad cookies. So once you get into the good cookie category that where you are, there's only so much variation in good cookie. What I think is really cool about this is you took this product that kind of anyone could make and you've like put it into a lifestyle brand and you really have like a sense of, you know, leaning into the size of the cookie. In some respects, I love that because you talk about being competitive, like no one can out cookie you, right? Because it's just a cookie. Uh True. But at the same time, there's, you know, there's people in the, in the market right now that compare my cookies to like the crumble cookies of the world um, or the sweet Martha's and it, true. You can make the cookie at home, but then the size does matter. It's actually a, my, my license plate, the size matters <laughs> <laughs> um, because the larger the cookie, the different textures you get. And so there's, you know, and also 80% of my customers like an underdone cookie. Um, and so what's funny is that the fact that you can buy them at home and bring them at home and now and bake them yourself, or maybe don't bake them. Cause some, I know some people who just eat half sure. dough puck. Um, you have a little bit more control as a customer that way, but yeah, cookies a cookie, but you know, the techniques, even if you throw the recipe out there, you know, that people kind of veer from the recipe and the way people measure is different too. And so that kind of changes the recipe. Are you scooping the dough? I mean, scooping the flour or are you, are you pouring it into the cup? It's totally different. Yeah. And that's as someone who you're a baker clearly, because I'm a home cook, I'm not a baker. So when I'm baking, if I run into trouble, it's because I'm not precise. I'm like, you know, if, do you sweep the flour? Do you pour? Do you and I'm just like, oh, it'll be fine. And then I end up with like something that won't rise or, you know, sourdough problems. So that's the home baker yeah, issue. That's not funny part is I cannot bake bread to save my life or make pies. So I say, I say I'm a baker, but I'm very specific. Um, there's only certain things I'm really good at making and that's pretty much cookies. Um, I can figure those out, but if you ask me to make a loaf of bread, no way. I can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, and I don't have the patience for it. Skill set, right? Yeah. Totally. So when you think about getting into a target, like everybody has this moment, like, oh, I'm in Target. And what I think people don't really realize is that's just a license to sell to a target. So how have you have you like knocked down the door of 65 Target store managers? No, it's a little bit different in my category. I did listen to your episode with um, K-Mama. Yeah. And so some targets, depending on your product, will allow you to go in and say, okay, I'm just in one or two targets. But because my product is in the frozen section, there's very little space in the, in the freezers. So you have to go through central target, central buying, um, and connect with uh, a buyer at Target and kind of pitch your idea to them. Uh, I had a little bit of help because I worked at Target. So I spent seven years at Target in IT, but I was um, pretty good about networking and keeping names of people. So I could um, learn the, the techniques in terms of what buyers care about. Um, so there's a pitch that has to happen with the buyer. Um, and then going back and forth with them, are you willing to spend money on promotions? Are you willing to spend money on Target Circle? Uh, you have to be willing to push your product so it sells because they always say in the grocery store space, it's easy to get in, easy, quote unquote, easy to get in, but it's hard to stay because the moment your product isn't moving, you're going to 
get canceled <laughs> as a product. And so um, you always have to like tell the buyers that I'm going to take the time. I'm going to take the money to spend to make sure that this product moves off your shelves. Yeah. And a lot of people are afraid to do that, I think, because it's bootstrapping, right? You're an entrepreneur and you've funded your entire business yourself, haven't you? I have, which is totally scary. But at the same time, you know, people ask me, are you taking on investors? Um, are you looking at venture capital money? No, <laughs> not yet. Um, I'm not saying no forever, but at the same time, there's something really, uh, I get really proud when I say, yes, I've gotten to where I've I'm at without asking for a lot of money um, outside of me and my family. I really admire that. And I know some people might be listening and thinking, well, without that capital infusion, it could be holding her back. I really admire that because we bootstrapped our business and it almost cost us our marriage. It almost cost us a house at one point. Like it was not easy. We were pushed to the brink many times, but there was such an immense satisfaction knowing that we were employing people, that we could make our own decisions, that when we sold the company and we signed on the dotted line, like that money went to us. I mean, we had earned yeah. it, really legit earned it on paper and in our bank accounts. It was great. But what's important to know about the T-Rex brand is that I have two retail locations as well as wholesale, as well as the, the CPG grocery side. So yeah. when I did my stint on Shark Tank and I had a conversation with Mr. Wonderful, his feedback was your business is all over the place. And, you know, before COVID, yes, that's a problem. But because of COVID and the fact that I was, as I call it diversified, it, it helps the cash flow. So one thing uh, people should know if they're thinking about going into a grocery space or any space where you have to wait for someone to pay you, um, the targets of the world, high V's of the world, uh, not so much Kowalski's, but it's, we, we say net 30, net 45, you're waiting 30, 30 to 45 days for that check to come. And so you're really worried about cash flow. I, I can bootstrap that because I have income coming in from the retail sides. Yep. So it's helpful to like have different streams of income, especially if you're wanting to go into a space like that. And you have a lot of money tied up in inventory. Oh, it's, it's painful. A <laughs> lot, lot of money tied up everywhere. Um, but, you know, when I mentor small businesses, I always have to, they have to know all their expenses and how much stuff costs. Because if you don't know what your margins are and you start sending, setting out prices that cause you to lose money, uh, that's a problem. So down to the very, you know, chocolate chip and to the, to the bag that you're buying to put the cookie dough in, that has to be factored into your costs as well as paying yourself. Yes. Do you still mentor small businesses? I do. I do. I, I mentor a lot. Um, I also get a lot of ask holes. I don't know if you know those are where they ask your opinion. They, you give them time and they end up doing whatever they want to anyway. <laughs> um, a lot of those, but at the same time, it's fun to like live, relive my, my starts by talking to other, other small businesses. Why do you do it? I think because when I started, I didn't have a lot of mentors to help me. Um, and I think it's just for me to give back. And if I could just, you know, help someone through one or two issues that they're dealing with that I had to like muscle through myself, you know, it makes me kind of feel good about it. And I don't know if you know this about me too. I was a tennis instructor at one point. 
Nope. <laughs> yeah, I was a professional tennis instructor. And so just by helping people like advance their skills just a little bit, I think that's just ingrained in me. It's like, I like to help people. Yeah. And you like to teach people and to help them learn. Oh, totally. I mean, it's the food industry, especially in Minnesota is a very small one. Um, everyone kind of knows everybody. And, you know, there's people in there that you don't necessarily want to work with either because they're not very nice. <laughs> um, but we all know who those people are. Or we're learning over time. Yeah. And and I think, yeah. too, there's, um, I don't know how to describe this. And maybe the asshole is the way you describe it. There's people that just, like, you're a very energetic person. And you are a giver. And you are light. And you're bright. And you're giving of yourself. There are people in the world that just suck that energy out of people and they never give it back and you spend time with them and you just go away from every exchange feeling emotionally drained. And it's like you have friends like that, right? You have like, like you have your useful friends and you have your friends that are like a complete energy suck. (laughs) And yeah, those people are out there. And I think as you get, for me, as I've gotten older, I have to be more protective of my energy and what I'm spending it on because I don't want to, I'm not in that rat race. Like I was so like just running 55,000 miles an hour, like I did in my twenties and my thirties and my forties. And I'm still running faster than probably most people because I'm a pretty high energy person, but I have to protect my energy and my brain and my creativity too, because you can meet people that just suck it out of you and never fill you back up. Exactly. But, you know, if you know that you could help a couple people and just give them a couple pieces of advice that can help them get to that next place, um, you know, and, and watching them succeed actually makes me feel really good. So I, I try to, I try to get some energy that way too. Sure. Yeah. So when you think about, you have the two cafes, you have the CPG side of the business, Plus, you know, running a business, so just managing a PNL and innovation and employees. How do you structure your day? <laughs> I don't sleep much. Um, and I'm learning. I actually spoke to a, a clinical psychologist the other day saying that it's not a superpower to say that you sleep 44 hours a day. Unless you're Martha Stewart. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> I structure my day by making sure I have like a workout scheduled somewhere in that day. Interesting. Like today, I think after our conversation, I'm going to go lift weights, but it doesn't have to be like two or three hours, just 45 minutes to an hour of your time, just to like energize yourself physically is super helpful. I find myself checking emails all the time and I'm doing better. And a lot of small business owners will probably learn this too, is that I am doing better about delegating to other people and surrounding myself with employees that want to be there is, is super key uh, to, to be, for me to be able to be sane and maintain a, a nice demeanor <laughs> because sometimes, especially coming up where we're going to hit uh, Thanksgiving into Christmas, my hair is on fire most of the time. So I always tell my staff, I'm like, this is the calm before the storm. Um, and I'm going to, there's nothing I will never, I will never ask them to do something I haven't done myself. That's, that's the kind of way I manage my business. When you think about um, your day and how you structure things and how you want to spend time, someone mentioned to me the other day 
about social media and she was like, you know, I didn't, I need to take a break every now and then because I just find it recharges my batteries. Are you in that social media cycle and do you do your own social? And are you always like thinking about the next post? I was. So there was one point where I actually started looking at everything I did in a day and social media was one of the things that kind of kept me up at night because as a as a small food business, if you're not out there making gorgeous looking posts or whatever, you're kind of being left behind. So I ended up hiring someone for that. And then every once in a while, I'll sprinkle in my own posts. And, uh, but I think it's the, it's been a really good investment for me to have someone post for me, but at the same time, have my voice behind it. He, he got to know me really well. So he knows how I speak. There's sometimes when he'll post something, I'm like, I don't sound like that. I don't talk like that. So we have a go, we have a back and forth, but TikTok now, (laughs) the new hot social media, I was really hesitant to go out there on TikTok and, um, but I'm finding that people are using it. And now I'm just on this TikTok train where we just had a video go viral last week as almost 8 million views. Along with 8 million views comes thousands of, of comments that might not be as friendly and nice as that you'd like them to be, but that just comes with the territory. Yeah. So in terms of TikTok, are you posting photo series? Are you posting videos? What was it that went viral? Because I'm not on TikTok right now. Um, We've been posting a couple different things on TikTok. We'll post like me doing like little tips and tricks for baking. Um, And then we'll post like mixer videos. So my my Hobart mixer spinning around and then we throw stuff into the mixer. Um, And people really like that. So the one that just recently went viral is that we took a butter cookie dough and we took two apple pies, like full on apple pies, and we threw them into the mixer and mixed it around. And then we partnered with Pearson Salted Nut Roll and they gave us some apple pie nut rolls and we threw those into the mixer. I, I don't know why people like them, but people do just watching stuff spin around in a mixer. Is it a good um, cookie? It actually is a good cookie. Uh, people are, you know, I started throwing weird things into mixers just to see if a cookie could come out. And the apple pie cookie I've been doing for a couple of years now, and it's actually really good. It's got more of a cakey texture to it because of the apple pie filling. Mm-hmm. But we've thrown birthday cakes into the cookies before. I've thrown, we did mac and cheese, which was made, made a really good video. Not a really good cookie, but we did. Yeah. Yeah, smart. <laughs> and you know, there are some good savory cookies. So keep trying that. You don't, you never know. Like I'm trying to think of like a rosemary lemon oh, thyme. We've done that. And then just me being a smart ass, I made a uh a French green bean casserole cookie with with a cream of mushroom soup. That sounds was, so disgusting. It was awful. It was awful. But now I know. <laughs> yeah. And it kind of seems like disgusting. But then as I was hearing you talk about it, I was like, but wait, maybe like, it could be like the whole, like a chicken Swanson pie, but it's like all in a cookie. So maybe it turned out more like a biscuit. So I'm like, you know what? I can't really call this a T-Rex cookie because it it wasn't, it wasn't very good, but at least, you know, in terms of, I, I tried, um, dill pickle cookies when I was invited to the bloody Mary festival. And those actually worked out really well. They pair really well with bloody Mary's. I bet. I bet. Well, 
You are super fun. And do you have anything exciting coming up for the holidays? You know, for the holidays, we stick with our pumpkin pie cookies because those are really popular. Um, Then we throw cheesecake in there too. So it's pumpkin pie, cheesecake cookies. And then um, December, we start out with our um, contests again with putting it out there to my followers on Facebook and Instagram. We let them come up with a holiday flavor and then they vote. And then the top three get made for the month of December and the winners get a five pound version of the cookie they made. Yeah. Uh, they came up with. And last year's super popular cookie was a Christmas crack cookie, which had saltines in it, saltines yeah. and chocolate and pecans. Yum. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing what uh, the followers come up with next. Yeah, I love it. Well, Tina, it's exciting to talk to you. It's T-Rex cookies. Find them in your grocery store freezer. Also yeah. find them. Minnetonka. You said it. Minnetonka. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, in Ridgedale. Yeah. Ridgedale. Okay. So yeah, if they visit um, T-RexCookie.com, you can click on locations and you can find where you can find us both in restaurants because I'm in, a, in a, about 50 restaurants. Are you dessert. really? I did not know that. Yeah. On their dessert menus. Yeah. Love it. Um, so they, a lot of them make them into cookie skillets with ice cream on top. Um, so I'm in a bunch of restaurants and then we're in grocery as well as, uh, we are in the target center as well as the U S bank stadium during Vikings games. All right. I love it. Thank you so much for joining me on makers of Minnesota. It's been great to talk to you. Thanks for having me. All right, Tina. Bye-bye. Bye.